Collins and I am the founder of NZ Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that align with their goals. If you haven't done this already, please head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash flowchart where you can download my property investment expansion success formula. It's a one side of a four paper you print it off please hang it on your wall and use that as your roadmap for investing in property if you haven't got it again i'm going to harp on about it until i have every single property investor downloading it and having it on their wall that's ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash flowchart okay let's get on to today because i am very excited and this is a subject that i'm asked a lot about but i haven't really covered it in that much detail so i'm hoping that my guest today jonathan gordon from clan gordon in edinburgh will help me with this we're going to be discussing the scottish property market hi jonathan oh hi how are you doing i'm okay how are you yeah very good thank you thank you for coming and joining me today oh you're welcome looking forward to it so we're going to be talking about scotland and we'll start off with the differences between england and scotland because one of the biggest mistakes that investors make is that what goes on in england happens in scotland right it's not the same is it it's not the same i mean i don't have a huge experience of of stuff in england i lived in london for a wee while and rented properties but i, I don't know i i've had a, a bit of research just to compare so that i can advise clients from from england and mm-hmm. um, primarily from london mm-hmm. we're looking to to scotland but i don't have any direct experience of working in that market but yeah done all the research to see the differences yeah yes so let's start off by talking about edinburgh, the edinburgh market that's where you work tell me what's going on how how should we be feeling optimistic uh it's difficult to say really i if you're edinburgh is really really small Mm-hmm. In, in in compared to anything so glasgow um on the other side of the country is much bigger and it's much more like somewhere in england like manchester birmingham london it's nowhere near as big as london obviously but mm-hmm. it's similar in that there's just so many different areas yeah so there's there's um edinburgh's um just much smaller it's geographically bounded by a few things so the sea on one side and the and the hills on another and so, so first-time buyers, young people trying to buy, unless they're getting help from from their parents, it really has the, the property prices have really outstripped what people can typically afford, and what I would say is like a normal job. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a real problem for first-time buyers trying to compete with people whose parents have money. So, um, I guess one of the easiest ways to point out that um, gap is 25% of children in Edinburgh as a quite a well-known thing up here that um, that's that's very high compared to anywhere else potentially in the UK um, that go to private school. Okay. That's um, and then of the, the kind of inequalities between different parts of Edinburgh within this small area. So when people are able to fund their children to buy properties, that helps the prices to rise perhaps mm-hmm. faster than some other areas. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like the the market is growing quite quickly or is it flattened out? And how how are we looking in comparable to uh, the sale, sold prices versus rental prices? So I've always thought that, that 
rental price is growing quite fast in Edinburgh. Um, over the last few years, it's 4.8% the last 12 months. Um, and the I always thought it was kind of, the yield was similar. So the, so the yield the yield would stay roughly the same over the kind of 10, 11 years that I've been doing this full-time in Edinburgh. And But it's actually quite a big difference. So the rents have gone actually grown over that time faster. The biggest reason for this is that in 2008, with a big um, financial crash, property prices really took a hit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, £220,000 two-bed new-build properties that people were buying, you know, really quickly buying them off plan in 2006-07. They were, after 2008-09, they couldn't sell them, but they, they would only be, be worth um, the 150000 So there's huge drops yeah. in that. And it's only really now that those new-build properties have recovered kind of where they are and new builds if you stick with that it's still quite flat i mean they've gradually very gradually over the 10 years since then have gone up in price mm-hmm. but it's still fairly flat people aren't offering huge amounts over the, the valuation prices so it's a much lower growth in the purchases and then the values that track with that mm-hmm. when the surveyors are valuing them whereas traditional property took a similar hit but recovered and they were flat as well for maybe four years mm-hmm. I guess from 2008 to 2012, 13, but then they started a bit of a gradual up, um, uplift, but then really fast over the last two years. And why do you think so that they've, is? So they've gone back to, to much higher prices. Mm-hmm. New build properties, new air built properties have kind of just got back to where they were. Why do you think that is? Um, I think the new build properties, people like to buy new build properties mm-hmm. so that makes that a different market um, because of the size of Edinburgh and the it, it's quite a unique, unique in Scotland to have all these flatted tenements mm-hmm. and so you can't really build any more of them whereas I think if you're in various towns in, in England you can correct me if I'm wrong but you'll have these rows of um, terraced houses yeah. and they might be split into upper and lower villas um, and I think I think you can recreate that. I think they do they do, they do from what I see recreate that to some extent as well as building more flats. They do recreate some of those houses. Whereas in Edinburgh, there are no more of these um, tenements, and there's no space in the city centre to build them. Mm-hmm. So the people are really heavily competing for those, and that's on the nicest streets, the best areas where people want to live. And the, the new build properties tend to be on the outlying bits. So they'll be on the edge of a good area and into the sort of more commercial areas in Leith. So they're not as well developed as places to live. Okay. And so have you seen that investors are buying up those types of properties as well? Do they make good rental investments? So if you want to get a straight cash return, it's much easier to buy new build properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your factor will look after the repairs. Whereas with the traditional tenements, it kind of depends on what your neighbours are, are hoping to do. Um, because you have to get agreement to do any repairs on the tenement buildings. Um, but ac- across both of those areas, which I see as different, new build and, and traditional, the, um, most of our first 100 properties that we managed in our first one well, in our first couple of years were people that couldn't sell their properties. Um, but they matched the type of landlord traditionally over the last 20, 30 years, which is people that have owned a flat, um, they've found a partner, moved in with them into the bigger flat and rented the other one out because they can afford to keep it. Yep. Or they've both had a flat, 
sold them both when they have children and bought a house and then kept them both and rented them out. That's your traditional Edinburgh um, landlords. And what we found is that the, the new stamp duty, in which is what it's called in England, it's called Land and Building Transaction Tax up here, is quite a heavy hit on your initial tax when you purchase a property, mm-hmm. which has put some of those people off. So if you want to hold on to your £200,000 flat, say, you'll pay and you want to buy a house and then you're going to rent out the flat, you'll actually pay this additional home stamp duty on your house. If you buy a £500,000 house because you've done well and you've got two people earning that are putting into the new property, mm-hmm. you'll actually pay this additional home rate tax the first time you do that on your house, Yeah, which is quite a big sting. So we've found a real drop-off in the number of people that can afford to do that. And actually more investors um, who are cash rich coming into the market sometimes from outside of Scotland, but also still in Edinburgh, just have surplus cash looking to buy property. A bit more of the actual buying to let rather than holding on to your property and renting it out when you move out of it. Okay. So it's almost like a new wave of landlord. I I think it is. I think there's there's just um it's probably just back to that with the parents of the, the first time buyers, they've either got the money that they from their equity that they can um that they can give to their children or, or they're actually able to invest for themselves. So um I think there is a, a lot of wealth in the UK that has been squeezed into the to the um I don't know what generation that would be called, but probably from my age upwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't do, I was unlucky. I bought a property in Perth around about the time when properties were doubling in Edinburgh in value and my property didn't really go up very much. I missed out on a chunk there. But there's a lot of people whose properties in Edinburgh they really did double over a, a, just a few years, less than, less than five years, their property could double wow. in price in, I think, the 90s, mm-hmm. 2000, early 2000s. They would jump from 50,000 to 100,000. And so the people that were involved in that property ladder and then they've now got children and grown-up children and might even be heading towards retirement. Mm-hmm. They, they've got cash. And then obviously people who are in other areas where it's just perhaps becoming a bit more common for people to invest outside of their local area yeah. than it would have been 20 years ago. A bit braver or looking for better opportunity. It feels easier to buy somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's still a strong investment market? So if you wanted to buy buy-to-lets, would Edinburgh still be a place to, to buy? Yes, it is. You just, the difficulty is being brave what you're going to do. So a typical um, buy-to-let flat in Leith. Leith is, the, is um, the area of Edinburgh that's really transforming at the moment. So mm-hmm. at the top of Leith Walk, is the is the east end of the centre of Edinburgh. So that's where um, John Lewis is. Yep. And the, the building that John Lewis and James Centre is going to a massive redevelopment. That's one of the biggest developments. You know, if you're in London and you see cranes everywhere around every corner, this is the one bit in Edinburgh where it matches that. You've got about seven cranes, about as big as you can get in that one area working all wow. the time just now. So that's a massive redevelopment. Because, and... Um, at the other end of Leith Walk, down at the bottom, is where, that leads into where the docks are and all the old commercial bond buildings where they had stored whiskey, grain came in on ships or went out on ships, um, and it's where all the scrap yards are and things as well. So mm-hmm. that's the bottom of Leith Walk. So this, this, this 
big long road that connects those two areas. Very talk, which is going to be eight, that development in James Centre will be six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand pound two bedroom flats, more like kind of London prices. Yeah. And at the bottom of that Leith Walk, or the bottom half of it, you can buy one bedroom flats for one hundred and twenty-five, two bedroom flats for one hundred and ninety, two hundred thousand. Okay. And it's very kind of, I guess it's lower risk than um, um, what you have to spend on a property in London. Mm-hmm. You can spend that, and if you if if you only get seven hundred pounds a month instead of eight hundred pounds, you thought you'd get it's not such a big hit as if you do. Same differential in a in a more expensive city. Mm-hmm. Edinburgh is becoming expensive, but when you look at those numbers, it's it's something that um, a lot of investors would see much lower than than other cities that you can invest in. I would think, and the the rental returns that you get. So the the market is growing, and Edinburgh is a very um, you know it's full employment mm-hmm. or as close as you can get to that, and it's very good jobs out in Edinburgh. So. Um, the easiest place to live and, and the uh, in terms of accessing all those good jobs in Edinburgh is in Leith. So it's like you can walk up Leith Walk in 20 minutes from these cheaper flats up to the, the city centre. The new tr- the tram that goes from the airport into the centre of town, that is now going to be extended straight down Leith Walk. Oh, wow. And go right down to the docks. So if you... And at the bottom of Leith Walk, which I think I'm about to say before... At the other end from the, the big developments at James Centre, this is you have as a company called Drum Property that are going to knock down one whole section at the bottom of Leith Walk. It's very controversial, but um, building development and it is going to be a, one of the biggest developments in Edinburgh in terms of residential and commercial change um, that there's been for a while. And so if you're looking to invest in that area just now, um, that's a good opportunity to buy those because that whole area is going to come up. So all the shops that are you know, little cafes that are not doing very well or bookmaker shops, they're going to change into nicer cafes, nicer restaurants. And strange quirk at Edinburgh is that Michelin-starred restaurants are already in that area, oh. even though it's one of the, the poorer areas traditionally. They happen to be the kitchen, like Tom Kitchen's mm-hmm. kitchen is there. Um, Martin Wishart mm-hmm. has one of his places down there. Um, or another, I can't remember the name of. So it's a really kind of, I don't know if the right word for it, for my age is to say hip and happening kind of place. Yep. But it's it's a pretty cool place to hang to hang out. Okay. Um, so uh, it's very popular with with rentals, and it, and and as I said, the rentals I think have going fast and perhaps a little bit faster even than the property prices over the last day. Okay. So if someone, so if you wanted to be a landlord then in Scotland, say that, and specifically in Edinburgh and you were going to buy there, what tenancy agreements are you guys using? And I know this might sound mad, but anybody who's listening, your traditional AST in England doesn't cut it in Scotland, right? That's right. No, it doesn't. So it was very similar, and it was the same letters in a slightly different order. So it was the SAT, Short Mm -hmm. Assured Tenancy, as opposed to the Assured Shorthold Tenancy. So since like 1900, I think, you know, before the war, there was a kind of a mirroring of what was happening in in England and Scotland. Um, In the 80s, not sure when exactly in England, but the change from this, um, you moved into property, you could stay in it forever, the children could take it over from you. 
and then um, the whole rental market really wasn't working, so they introduced short tenancies or short versions of those tenancies, which would have a minimum of six months, but you could end it um, with a couple of months' notice if you were the landlord, and that applies in Scotland for the AST and for um, short issue tenancies in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And Scotland's um, Parliament is most things in Scotland that are, affect your day-to-day life other than the big economic decisions that affect the direction of your macroeconomy or your microeconomy, like tax and things like that. Most most sort of schooling, so education more widely, and um, what the local councils are allowed to do or not allowed to do, and, the, and all the housing regulations and building standards, that's all controlled by the Scottish Government. They um, wanted to um, produce more certainty for tenants who are not being looked after by the landlords. Mm-hmm. So there's a problem, I guess, probably most places um, around the world with landlords um, who don't look after the tenants, and it, it, it's always talked about as being quite a small percentage. But even if it's ten percent of the three hundred thousand in, in in Scotland that, that are not looking after the tenants perfectly, that could be thirty thousand families that are not getting looked after. So they wanted to provide more certainty for tenants who complain about properties' condition or repairs that need to get done. It, we see all the time tenants to talk to whose landlords, you know, the boiler fails and they say, well, I can't afford to replace the boiler. Here's a couple of heaters. Mm. And that's not allowed under the repairing standard. But if the tenant complains about it, the landlord would just end the tenancy. Right. But they wanted to change that control and put that control a bit more into the tenants. And so what we've got is a private residential tenancy, the only type of tenancy you're allowed in Scotland for, for housing in the private sector. So that is um, when the tenant moves in, um, either side um, can give 28 days notice at any time after the tenant has moved in. Um, the tenant can just give 28 days notice on the first day they've moved in and that, that, that tenancy will end. Mm-hmm. Um, the landlord can also give 28 days notice, but the additional bit is that they have to have a reason. So they can't just say they don't like the tenant, they've moved in, they're a bit untidy and they've decided they want to get rid of them, they need to have a reason. But the key reasons for investors, so sell it, um, some landlords might want to move their children into it, um, to renovate it, those are all allowable reasons. So if you want to sell your property, then you can end the tenancy for 20 days notice, the first six months. After six months, the tenant then gets three months notice for those type of things, okay. which is a bit fairer. Um, and if there's a breach of the tenancy, or not paying rent, looking after the property then also apply to end the tenancy if you're the landlord in the same in a similar way to the, what used to slightly different rules which actually make it fairer for the landlord um particularly in terms of rent arrears it's easier to evict a tenant that's is bad at paying their rent um paying late all the time whereas in the past in the shortage of tenancies and i think in england as well as long as the tenant doesn't fall too far behind even if they're a pain Mm-hmm. They can stay in the property by keep bringing the rent up to date by the time the court case comes around, and that's it. So, the, the process of removing bad tenants, the landlord is a counter, giving the tenant a bit more. Okay. When... Okay, and so have so what's the standards around that? So, what standards do you have to adhere to to keep your property in good condition? It was a bit. I mean, England, I think, have struggled to keep up with it because it goes backwards and forwards, obviously, in round circles with consultations. But I think they're 
doing a lot of stuff to catch up. But in Scotland, um, they've been ahead of the game yeah. in terms of what you have to provide. So it's still relatively basic things like um, heating, um, you know, uh, a water supply, wind and water tight, um, but much more specific on hardwired smoke alarms. So the building standards for new new build properties is pretty much applies to all private rented properties. You have to have multiple smoke alarms all linked together that sound together. Mm -hmm. For a fire, you have to have carbon monoxide alarms for each appliance. Um, you have to have electrical inspection condition reports, which if you have them done by, and you have to have them done by a regulated electrician that won't allow you to keep those old fashioned fuse boards mm -hmm. for doing it properly so that for a higher fire. So properties should be getting safer for, for anyone that's following the rules. And um, I think there's still a bit of a problem in terms of, you know, if, if a tenant wants to complain about the heating being rubbish, that's still kind of a grey area. You know, the landlord will say, well, you've got like all these electric heaters and mm -hmm. it's up to you to learn how to control them, even though they're really old fashioned, rubbishy ones. Um, there's no requirement for them to provide efficient, modern heating that suits the property. They can have old single glazing and pretty rubbish electric heating that doesn't keep it warm enough down to the fact that there's cold air coming in through the single glazing. But the, the new rules allow the tenant to leave within 28 days with 28 days notice if the property isn't kept up to scratch and doesn't, you know, the landlord said, I'll, I'll fix that before you move in, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Then the tenant can just leave. So I think it puts a bit more power into the hands of the tenant to demand these improvements. And I think. Um, if tenants are coming and going a bit more easily, you're going to have to work a bit harder to make your property in, um, attractive yeah. tenants. And there's a definite, with more people renting than buying in the younger market, I think some of them are pretty demanding. Uh, and we're now seeing for the first time, you know, instead of, you know, we're very fussy about standards, so we won't take on a property that has carpets that are. 15 years old with a, a couple of burn marks on them, mm -hmm. we would ask the tenant to, to change that. But lots of other agents or landlords would just rent them out like that. And, yeah. you know, some things are obviously okay and it suits the tenant. Sometimes they don't care. They don't have to be so careful with new carpets. But that's not really the way it should be. If you're renting a property and paying you know, a good chunk of your monthly income, you should have relatively new carpets that are you know, like anyone living in their own home that they own would, would want. Mm -hmm. So and, and sofas are not second-hand. Um, 20 years old that are comfy, mattresses that work, um, can't feel the springs. So I think there is a bit of a, a differential between the rent now for a good quality property, good condition, and one that's in an average or poor condition. Whereas when we first started, we would say you need to do up the property. Somebody else would come along and say, oh, no, you'll get, this, you'll get 700 pound rent anyway. That's what we would have quoted because there's just a high demand. But I think just with the volume of people renting, they're a bit more demanding um, because more people that would have bought that are renting. Um, then I think there is a bit of a differential for high, high higher quality. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, right? That should be, yeah. how, the, that should be how the market works. You really want the market to work. And the, the problem with lots of markets and is, you know, if supply and demand, those graphs that, whatever I did at school, <laughs> we had supply and demand graphs. Um, it, it was, you know, you need to have a balance yeah. um, between supply and demand. 
Otherwise, it doesn't work. And I think it's the same for valuations of, although I don't do valuations for capital value properties, you know, the, the severe doing the valuation has to take some account of the restricted amount of property available. So if people are offering 20% over to buy one bedroom flats, the severe doing the valuations doesn't automatically put the next flat he sees like that up by 20%. Mm-hmm. You have to take account of the fact that there were five people that wanted to buy that flat in that street and there was no other flats available. So his valuation will be lower. Mm-hmm. And and so um, I think there's just a... Uh, kind of forgotten where I was going with that thread. <laughs> but that's not bad because that's the first thing I've done tonight. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, but, but just in general, condition of the properties, I think it's a fundamental part of the market. If it's a rough balance, find demand, it's great. But, and it should work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've probably heard me talk a lot about Anchor and how it has been the easiest way to make a podcast. I have transferred over onto Anchor from several different podcast platforms. Now, let me tell you why it's so good. Number one, it's free. Number two, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer if you're not sat in a studio. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So they will put it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and so many more. Mine are over 12 platforms at the moment. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And you can do that on the go. So if you want to be like me and record your podcast on Anchor, then download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So how do you see the market moving forward? Obviously, we've got Brexit on the horizon, which I hate talking about. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not putting you on the spot. But have you seen people feeling less confident in the market? Have you seen market players moving away from doing anything right now? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I've got one property uh, with my brother uh, about a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, we would maybe get another one ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I've seen opportunities come up because I see a lot of things that our clients are buying. And, um, you know, we very specifically looked at things and very quickly gone, not at the moment, okay. because we just don't know what's going to happen. So, oh, Sterling, I think in your podcast I listened to you on the way here, yep. you were talking about the jump in, I don't know what day that was, but the jump in Sterling against the dollar oh, yeah. 72, 72 pence 85 pence yeah, it? It was a real I mean if that, if that can day. happen that just that can wipe out anything really doing so yes. yeah it, I, th- I think there's a bit of a caution I think the property sales market in Edinburgh has been very very fast so we's one bedroom flats in, in Leith um, valued 130,000 um, selling for 155 and you know, there's ten people noting interest in them, in, in them within a week of them going on the market, and there's wow. you know twenty five people going to look at them on a Sunday because we have open viewings in Edinburgh, which is something that is unusual or fairly unique to Edinburgh. Um, so you have open viewings between two and three or two and four on a Sunday, and um, yeah, you would get twenty five people coming to look at that flat the first time, and then ten of them would no interest on the Monday. And then we go to a closing date a week later and people will be bidding or guessing how much they might have to pay to get it. Wow. And that and that that has 
been faster and bigger percentages than I used to see even when it was really, really busy pre the crash 2005, 6, 7 um, in the last 18 months, two years. But in the last six months, that has gone a lot quieter. So you'll see more fixed prices. Edinburgh's offers over price valued at 100, £135, but they'll do offers over 125 so a little bit below whatever the valuation is, hoping to attract people in and then people will actually bid more than the valuation. They will then not get enough interest or not get an offer that they want and then they'll put a fixed price of what they actually want or will sell it for. And we haven't seen fixed prices in types of flats in Leith for the last couple of years, but they're starting to creep in. Wow. Okay. So a real change in the market. And is it right in Scotland you don't do gazumping? No gazumping. You can gazump. But it costs you money, and it's so the gazumping thing in Scotland is cancelled out by the fact that if um, if you're buying and I'm selling, we've got solicitors acting for us, mm-hmm. and um, if you put in an offer and it's accepted, your solicitor puts an offer to my solicitor, and they accept between each other. Yep. If 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 you if I um, as a seller want to pull out and accept another offer, my solicitor is not allowed to act for me. Oh wow. And he'll and he'll charge me a fee, and I'll have to get a new solicitor and pay him a fee. Wow. Okay. I think, well, I'm not a solicitor, but I I think that's the difference, and that's what stops it. But right up until the miss, they call it misses being concluded. That's your complete exchange of contracts, is it? Yep. So you know, you might not get the property until the first of October, but you might exchange contracts. In England, I think it is, or conclude missives, which is just the letters that go back and forth. Eventually. All the sisters have striked out the, we'll buy this as long as, and they strike all those things out, and then it's agreed that they buy it, and that's it, sold. But until that point, which can happen on the day of the transfer of the property or a bit before, until that happens, you can actually, you can pull out. Okay. Well, you can do gazumping, but it's just the listers um, have these rules in place for themselves, which I guess people just don't think about it yeah. because of that. And it's and it makes it a more transparent market as well. It is, um, but I mean, if if you have a fixed price in England, presuming that's kind of an offers over price if it's a popular property, people will have sealed bids, don't they? Mm-hmm. Although it doesn't say offers over on the price, it's still people will offer over that if they want to get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes they offer over time because it's closed those bid sort of thing up here, that's a bit untransparent. But rather than auctions, we don't really have auctions up here very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, auctions always seem like a better way to transact things like this to me because bid up to what you want. And then that means the seller's not getting this ridiculous amount sometimes that they're desperate to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that skews the market a bit. But yeah, the, the, the transactional process is much is much better, much for people to work with to sell their own property you know just that transaction of the chains that you don't get these chains forming that get broken and yeah and um and can ruin people's year <laughs> that doesn't happen so much okay people still pull out but it's just more exceptional right okay it's more people would pull out rather than the seller because i'm fun okay so if you were so let me ask but 
investors looking to invest in Edinburgh, where should they start? It depends a little bit on how much they want to spend. Mm -hmm. So the higher value of the property, the fancier the area. So the, the new town of Edinburgh is one of the most expensive bits mm -hmm. in Edinburgh where you're going to buy flats. And your yield, you know, you're somewhere between 4 and 6% mm -hmm. gross yield for most properties traditionally. And if you want to get have a really strong capital protection of a really good flat in the new town, then might buy a really nice flat for £400,000 and rent it out and get 4% yield. You might get 5 6% yield on it, mm -hmm. but it won't be as reliable. So you'll be at the top end of what people can afford to pay, so there'll be a much smaller market. So you might have voids or just a fluctuating amount that you get. So you, you won't necessarily know you're going to get £2,000 a month. People will pay £2,000 a month in rent, but there's not many of them. Mm -hmm. So um, most people that are buying in Edinburgh... I think focus on it's one bedroom flats mm -hmm. where there are lots of flats and that's where people want to live so that's where people rent them you want to find somewhere where you can find 10 one bedroom flats that have rented out in that street in the last few months because that's obviously where people are wanting to live yeah um if you go to the suburbs well, you might struggle to find any comparables of rentals well that tells you that well, it tells you there's no properties to rent there, but it might also tell you that nobody wants to live there either mm -hmm. or, or rent there. So I, I've, we're in Leith, so I guess that heads towards why we would focus on that. But it, it is where most of the flats are, and it's where most of the people want to live. Okay. So we've got so we've got a couple of um, research things that we did. Um we had somebody doing some research in the summer and he, he did some work for us just looking very specifically at um, why people want to live in particular areas and uh, and, and it, it, it all actually led to Leith being, being the most common place where, where people want to live. And it's all the people that are working in the good jobs as well. Okay. So your one-bedroom flats or guest around about £150,000 mark, your two-bedroom flats, or I guess 200 to 250. But the student market is still pretty good. Um, but that PRT, private residential tenancy, because you can't do annual leases for students year to year. Mm -hmm. Tenants move out partway through the year. There aren't many students looking to move in partway through a year. Yeah. So that's affected that a little bit. Okay. But traditionally, HMO properties where you... you three or more bedrooms, you rent those out, mm -hmm. either individually or like we do to groups of friends, then that's a very steady, um, reliable income because there's huge volumes of students in Edinburgh. So I can't remember, I don't have the exact numbers by hand, but um, they're on our website where you can see um, a blog that takes you through all the... Um, the numbers of, of of how many students there are, how many people live in Leith and things. So it's always been kind of around about 450 to 550 per room, mm -hmm. 450 to 550 pounds per month per room let out, so per student. You have three bed, then you multiply it by three. And that's really pushing towards 650 or slightly more for good quality flats now. Okay. Where the parents, parents are paying the rent and they want to have a nice property. So... You can maybe get a two-bedroom with a big kitchen and convert that and turn it into a three-bed 
and then rent that out. But it's um, there's, there's a, a, I mean, a lot of them have been converted already, so finding the opportunities are, are difficult. But there's huge numbers of tenement flats where they have a, a large dining kitchen, a lounge, and one bedroom or two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And then you can move the kitchen into a box room in the middle with a new door, or you can move the kitchen into make an open plan living room, and then you turn the old kitchen diner a bedroom, add a bedroom that way. Okay. And then traditionally, you know, you could um, use that to increase your yield. So you would head into the seven, eight, nine, ten percent yield as property. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit more complex. Okay, but are there are there those opportunities available? Yeah, they definitely are. Um, the most reliable properties and the most reliable areas for that are are getting a bit more expensive. Um. But um, they're also very good areas. When I talked about Edinburgh's Newtown being a very sort of solid area, there's areas in Brunsfield and Morningside and Marchmont in the south side of the city where beautiful tenement buildings and streets, which are exactly what you would look at if you're looking at property in Edinburgh, think that's, a, that's why Edinburgh looks good. Mm-hmm. You get properties in those streets that, that do come available, but they, you know they become popular. Um, but... But we've got a three-bedroom property a client was selling, and he was happy to sell it off-market at one point. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it valued at around about three sixty. He would have sold it for three fifty. Mm-hmm. Sorry, three hundred and fifty thousand. And then you would maybe get eighteen hundred pound a month in rent for that. Okay. But that can turn your yield. I mean, you probably get. I mean, that's six hundred pound a room, but you would probably get more than that because that's right in the heart of. Um, Brunsfield, which is a pretty good area. Okay. But you get six fifty a room. So it is still there's still these investment opportunities up there that actually investors should be looking at if they wanted to add that to their portfolio. I think if particularly somebody's coming from an area like a big city in England where you can't get one and two bedroom properties for between hundred and fifty and two hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. or you can't get three bedroom flats at all for students to live in, you have to buy houses which are more expensive. Um, that's what students live in so it's it's a much lower risk I guess mm-hmm. by this lower level but with the ability of a capital city with a government in that city a financial centre um, and um, very intelligent clever educated population mm-hmm. um, with money to spend um it's, um, yeah, I mean, rents just continued going up after the crash. All these people that were earning money, they still had their jobs. It wasn't, I guess it was just smaller, more boutiques sort of financial yeah. sector. So, you know, you didn't have the Lehman Brothers in London, mm-hmm. everybody losing their jobs and mm-hmm. and not having their income anymore. I think, I think um, Edinburgh's financial market didn't suffer in the same way because it's more boutique. Yep. I'm not sure. Not specifically hedge funds, but just more boutique financial um, companies. People didn't lose their their jobs quite as mm-hmm. the um, yeah. They all still needed somewhere to, to have somewhere to live, but the property sales market crashed. More of them would rent. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds like a pretty optimistic outlook on Edinburgh and Scot- and the, the Sc- Scottish market. 
would you say it's not awful because in parts of the parts of England and Wales would be it the market isn't that great anymore we're sitting and waiting but it gives other investment opportunities if we were to look towards Edinburgh I think Edinburgh is the safest place in Scotland so Aberdeen obviously I mean the, the crash in Aberdeen is I mean it was really significant mm-hmm. so you would get pro- one bedroom properties that had gone up I guess some people would say far too high, uh, at sort of seven fifty, eight hundred, nine hundred pounds per month, mm-hmm. and then and then they couldn't rent them out for five fifty, yeah. or the people that were living there for eight hundred pounds would say, well, I'll, I'll sign another tenancy or I'll stay, but only if you drop the rent by thirty percent. So it was as significant as that, um, but all very quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, so you. Each city is different, so Aberdeen is starting to gradually climb back up. So if you ha- if you wanted to try and find somewhere to buy properties and take a punt, mm-hmm. but is oil going to recover or is wind power going to take over? Um, Dundee got the new V&A, um, on the waterfront, a lot of redevelopment going on, and you can pick up flats for sixty thousand pounds and rent them out for a reason for a reasonable yield, so seven eight nine percent, so better yields. Mm-hmm. But those properties have just been nothing very dramatic happening yeah. in terms of the price of those properties. Glasgow is a huge city. It's much more like big cities in England where, you know, there's a, there is a tube station mm-hmm. um, on the... Uh, there's one tube line that goes around in a circle, but there's also lots of railway stations. When I lived in London, you would get the train and then jump on the tube. But that happens in Glasgow. Nothing like that in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, everybody's on buses in Edinburgh. And there's a couple of train stations, but they take you out of town, mm-hmm. other city. So Glasgow's much more like that. And you, you've got a train from the city centre, Glasgow, it'll take you out to south side somewhere, miles away. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a whole suburb like Balham in London, if people are from, from London, where um, it's got its own shops and restaurants, maybe even a cinema. And a complex, a retail complex. Um, so you can find auction property in Glasgow and find um, suburbs where there's two bedroom flats for £80,000. But, you know, you have to take a bit of a punt on what's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the city centre of Glasgow, it's very similar to Edinburgh yeah. in terms of what you have to pay to try and secure the good properties competition. So, Edinburgh, I guess, just just that capital city thing. And even if Brexit happens or Scotland becomes independent or any of these things, it's a capital city with a parliament. Yeah. And there's all, there's going to be all the infrastructure and everything that goes with that. So, you know, even if you get a downturn or a shock or something from Brexit or independence, then, um, you know, it will recover. So if you're thinking long term, which mm-hmm. property investors have to do now, I think, then... As long as you buy it based on what the rent is you're going to get, we haven't seen the rentals change other than upwards since we started in Edinburgh. And I haven't, and I have been involved vaguely in property for the um, sort of 15 years before that, or have an awareness of it. Uh, and it's just been a gradual path upwards. There's been no shocks to the market the way that there are, there is in um, Aberdeen, for example, mm-hmm. a continual upward trend in terms of the rent when the property values take a take a knock or go up and down 
property rental business. Okay. Well, so it's safe. It seems fairly safe. Hmm. Well, I think that is a great place to end on. But I hope that people who are listening to this now start thinking, hmm, okay, maybe we should be looking towards Edinburgh and seeing if there's any opportunities there to buy in. Um, and Jonathan, I'm going to put your website in the show notes below so that if anybody does want to get in contact with Jonathan and Clan Gordon, then you can get in contact by going to the website below. Thank you, Fantastic. Jonathan. Thank you. I appreciate well, thank it. You. <laughs> thank you very much. Um... So I hope you enjoyed that really interesting conversation about the Scottish property market and in particular Edinburgh. If you want to find out more, again, as I said, I'm going to put Jonathan's website below. So do go and have a look and see if there's something there that works for you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.